Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Duncan. I'm John Hodge. Thanks for joining us today. We're a little early on a Tuesday, but who knows? Maybe we'll be Tuesdays some weeks, maybe Wednesdays. Just keep it tuned to Three Down Nation. Let's be honest. Today, we're discussing Nathan Rourke's first career start. The Bombers unveiling their Grey Cup banner. Cody Fajardo's headshot. McLeod Bethel Thompson out-dueling Bowley by Mitchell in Calgary. What? And perennial all-star tackle Sir Vincent Rogers testing positive for COVID-19. But first, Dunkster, you reported TSN's TV ratings for the CFL's 2021 season opener were up 31% year over year. How critical is that number for the league? It's massive because, Hodge, if you look at some of the other sports that played through the pandemic, namely the NBA and the NHL, when they were in their bubble cities, and the NHL obviously was in Toronto and Edmonton, the numbers on TV for them went down. So the fact that the CFL has come back after a year off and that number is up 31% overall is massive for the CFL especially when you consider the 2019 season opener was the Riders against the Ticats. And we know the Rough Riders generally draw a massive TV audience. So the fact that it's up over 100,000 viewers, it's about 522 and change to 683 and change year over year, really shows me that Canada missed three down football and also wanted to tune in for the rematch of the 107th Grey Cup. And a lot of, I'm sure, Manitobans, Hodge, as you well know, wanted to see the banner unveiling as well. Yeah, it's it's a fabulous number. I, I was really impressed. I didn't think there was any chance that the number was going to be higher. The league took an entire year off, right? Out of sight, out of mind. It's still the summertime. People like to go to the cottage, even on Thursdays sometimes. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the Olympics. Right. The Olympics is not an annual event. The Olympics is one every four years. And, uh, you know, in this case, once every five uh, with with Tokyo getting pushed back due to the pandemic. So you've got a year off. You've got extra competition. Right. The Jays also played. Uh, I I think it's a great number. I was very impressed, very pleased. And uh, yeah, great start, uh, to be frank, for, for the CFL coming back for the first time since 2019. And those are critical elements. You mentioned the Olympics and the Jays. The Olympics in prime time, even though the time change with it being in Tokyo, a lot of people are still viewing it at night when they get home. So that number was over a million viewers on average that Thursday night. The Blue Jays drew over half a million, but still it wasn't like the CFL got hurt by it because they still had over 600,000 viewers 
for that first game. Then you had the Riders on Friday night. Obviously, they're going to be a big draw. They were the largest average TV audience of week one, over 700,000. Where I get a little worried is on Saturday, the doubleheader. You had two games in the 300,000s, one sort of near the start of the 300,000s and one near the end. Now, the Blue Jays were playing a big-time doubleheader against the Boston Red Sox in Toronto that day, and the games were close, and a lot of people tuned in because it was the last time the Jays played the Red Sox, who are leading the American League East Division, and those numbers dwarfed the CFL games that day. Game two of that doubleheader for the Jays was over 900,000 viewers. The Red Blacks and the Elks, maybe a lot of people just thought Edmonton was going to win that game easily, (laughs) barely even got close to 400,000 viewers. So the Jays more than doubled it. So to me, that is a little worrisome, but the start, no doubt, was a bang. Yeah, I, I think later in the week, the Saturday numbers are a little bit of a concern, I will admit. Uh, the one thing, I mean, when, whenever you're starting, uh, what's the right word? Let's say uh, unintriguing matchup or, or maybe a matchup that doesn't feature the sexiest names or, or, or the hottest rivalry like Ottawa and Edmonton. And the game is starting that late, right? It's starting at, I think it was not at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, at least I, I don't think the viewership is ever going to be amazing for that. Um and again, you got the Olympics factor. So I'm interested to see once the Olympics is all wrapped up, what will those matchups look like? Because if they stay in the 300s dunkster, I agree. That's a bit of a concern. But if they can get bumped up, they're not going to beat the Riders. They're probably not going to beat the Bombers. But if they can get bumped up into the 400s, even the 500s, I think the CFL is in a really good spot. Speaking of Canadians having success, quarterback Nathan Rourke started his first game of his CFL career in an unexpected way with the BC Lions. Michael Riley told him that he was starting with the offense right after the coin toss, and then he had to run onto the field in front of 30,000-plus people at Mosaic Stadium. What the heck is going on with the Lions? (laughs) Michael Riley's making the decisions. There's a lot of talk out there about are the Lions being deceitful and are they disregarding the new league injury reporting rules here? But to be quite honest... That's not the case. The talking heads out there can have their opinions. But Michael Riley made the decision, as you mentioned, just before kickoff and told Rourke he was going out there. And again, before the second half, after Rick Campbell had an interview with TSN at halftime, he runs back over the sideline and he learns that it's going to be Riley going in to start the second half. And then Riley decides to pull himself out of the game with just under five minutes to go in the fourth quarter and Rourke finishes strong. To me, two major storylines here, all right? And we're going to start with the Canadian quarterback, obviously. Nathan Rourke looked <laughs> legit in his first career CFL start when he was told moments before the game was even going to start that he was going on the field. Plus, you mentioned it, goes into a packed house at Mosaic Stadium that hasn't seen football in over 600 freaking days. They were on the lines from when they came on the field for warm-ups, just giving it to them. He was unfazed, throws a strike to Lucky Whitehead for his first career CFL touchdown, 75 yards. And oh, by the way, in the fourth quarter, pressure on, trying to lead a comeback. He throws another touchdown pass spotted perfectly to Brian Burnham. Yes, Burnham made a great adjustment as well, but that ball was put only where Burnham could get it. The other storyline, obviously Michael Riley and his elbow issue. 
Rick Campbell came out and flat out said it's elbow soreness. There are some people around the team that are worrying that it could be worse. Campbell's saying that it's naughty, saying that he needs actually more activity to get healthy. So a lot of question marks there around Riley. But to me, let's remove the in and out of the game stuff with Rourke and let's see what he's got and allow Riley to get 100% healthy Hodge because he did not look so even when he was in the game. A lot of those footballs had a lot of air under them. (laughs) He was out there pitching ducks. Let's be honest. It didn't look anything like the Michael Riley that we're used to seeing. And yeah, Nathan Rourke, he didn't look great at the very start of the game, but in my view, he was put in a position that would be impossible for any raw rookie making their first start to, to really succeed or excel at. He was not expecting to start. And yes, he told the media, look, I prepare like I'm going to start every week. And that's wonderful. But there's a big difference between knowing three, four, five days in advance, hey, you're going to be the guy versus, hey, it's kickoff. Uh, there's 33,000 people wearing watermelons going berserk. <laughs> the beer has been flowing since 10 in the morning. Rider Nation's back. We got all this pent up energy from the 2019 West final. Oh, and by the way, it's your it's your show, kid. Like, are you kidding me? Um, I think that was an unbelievable position to put Nathan Rourke in. And the fact that he went out there and still was able to throw for two touchdowns. Yeah, he had two picks. Uh, the, The pick six, I just really give credit to Nick Marshall. That was just an unbelievable play for him to make the pick and return it. The second interception was bad, but it was at the last minute of the game. Rourke, you know, you don't really have a, a choice but to just chuck it. Uh, down the field. So I, I thought he played well given the circumstances. Um, obviously, I think there's a chance we're going to see him again in week two because Mike Michael Riley just obviously, again, he did not look like the Michael Riley of old pitching ducks all over the field. And uh, if I was the if I was a Lions fan, I think I would be concerned insofar that, you know, former MLP Michael Riley is not looking like himself. But Nathan Rourke looked looked pretty legit again, given the circumstances. So maybe there's some reason for excitement there with the young Canadian quarterback. There should be. And the Lions maybe stumbled upon a potential quarterback of the future in a succession plan earlier than they thought, right? They really did like Rourke during training camp. Obviously didn't expect to have to start him in week one, but a lot of positives to take away from that situation. And you mentioned it, Hodge. Let's think of any number of star NCAA quarterbacks that have come up here latest one that everybody knows about, Johnny Manziel, of course, how bad he looked in his first CFL start. Remember when he threw four picks in the first half against the (laughs) Hamilton Tiger Cats, Hodge? I do. We got Nathan Rourke on the opposite side of this, dealing with adversity, coming back from it, throwing a touchdown strike, being unfazed, and he had that, it's cliche, but level-headedness throughout the game. And I might've just made up a word, but he never got too high, (laughs) never got too low. And Michael Riley talked about that as well being key. So we've seen a number of guys and riders fans. Well, no, we can go on down the list, right? Tino Sanceri, Brett Smith come to mind in recent years of American quarterbacks that folded up like a cheap tent when they faced any even drip of uncertainty or adversity in a game. Rourke was consistent in his approach And I really think, yes, I love Canadian quarterbacks, but he's got a bright future in the league. I agree. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil that beach bod you've been working so hard to show off? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. 
You heard that right. The 4.0. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop down your worst weeds up top. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses 9,000 RPM motor powered by 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes ouch get 20 percent off for free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com escape the shrubs and weeds this summer with manscaped how'd you watch the bombers banner unveiling and physical beatdown of the tie cats in person what was it like to be back in a cfl stadium and how strong is winnipeg it felt great. I, I, I actually I thought I was going to get emotional in the press box. I did not. Um, I think that was because I got to the stadium about, you know, I think I got there at 430 for a 730 kickoff. So I just been there for so long. Uh, the energy and honestly, the Bombers did a great job insofar that, you know, they, they, they suspected with the QR codes because there's mandatory vaccination to get in to get into the building. You know, they, they fear that the lines would be really slow. So they repeatedly told fans, told fans, told fans, show up at six, show up at six, show up at six, because they couldn't open the doors any earlier than that. And so come even five o'clock, there were fans lined up. Come six o'clock, there were long lines. And it seemed like actually they got fans into the building super, super fast. So the energy was pent up. It was building for a long time because the stadium was basically full by 630 or 645. And when they unveiled the banner at, at 730, I love that it is the most obnoxious, unbelievably over-the-top banner maybe in the history of pro sports. It's like 50 feet wide, and it says 11-time Great Cup champions. It's unbelievable, uh, unbelievably ostentatious, and I think that's great. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the Bombers played really well. They absolutely owned the line of scrimmage. It was almost like a repeat, honestly, the 2019 Great Cup. Offensively, defensively, um, I mean, yeah, Jeremiah Mazzoli had one great drive to start things off. He looked like a million bucks, and then all of a sudden, the Ticats didn't score another point. And Brady Oliveira just just kept breaking through uh, behind that absolutely stellar offensive line that the Blue Bombers have. I got to take one issue here, and that's with the banner. The banner, excuse <laughs> me. You mentioned that it's super wide, but in my mind, I had it in my head that it would be like all the other banners that we see that go up to the rafters, right? Like in my mind, the Bombers should have. 11 individual Grey Cup championship banners that hang in the rafters. Now, I get every team does it differently, but I'll give you an example. The Toronto Raptors with their NBA title, it's a banner for that year, right? It says 2019 NBA champions, and it goes up into the rafters of you know Air Canada Center. So to me, well, it's now Scotiabank Arena, but to me, that's what I was expecting. So yeah, they had the 50-footer and it was really wide, but you're 11-time Great Cup champions, but we're celebrating the 2019 championship. So I was surprised at that. That said, Brady Oliveira looked like an absolute pit bull as a runner. And yes, Andrew Harris probably would have gone for 200 in that game. He's bigger and more physical and has more experience. 
But the future is bright there, and there's a clear succession plan at running back to keep it Canadian with Oliveira. And, oh, by the way, Johnny Augustine, who is ripped, shredded, jacked, however you want to put it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bombers don't have banners, and I don't think in my lifetime they've ever had banners for the previous 10 Grey Cup wins. So I think rather than kind of unveiling 11 different banners because the first 10 don't exist, they went with one, that's why. But I, I get what you're saying. It's it's a little bit different, but personally, I love it. And of course, the Bombers, I think the question is, well, what happens if you win another one? Well, I'm guess what? If they win a second Grey Cup this quickly after waiting almost 30 years to win another, they're going to be perfectly happy to junk this banner, <laughs> chuck it in the garbage and raise a 12-time Grey Cup banner. Dugster, McLeod Bethel Thompson, Macbeth took out his sword and slayed the Stampeders on their own turf at McMahon Stadium, which, let's be honest, does not happen very often. Does the upset by the Argos say more about Toronto's potential or Calgary's worries? To me, it's the former, not the latter. And we should say for the record, it's only Bo Levi Mitchell's 19th loss in the regular season. I believe, Hodge, if I'm right, he has 77 wins to go along with that and a couple of ties against the Ottawa Redblacks. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The winner, winning percentage is still over 800. That said, it's impressive to me that the Argos come together under first-year head coach Ryan Dinwiddie. And with all the pieces that they had that are new, yes, McLeod Bethel Thompson was there in 2019, but it's a totally remade roster around him. So in our minds, clearly, and we have it up on the site, the MOP watch, you know, think Heisman watch, but for the CFL, McLeod Bethel Thompson is leading our rankings. And it's only after one week, but that's all we have to go on here. Now, I'm not so concerned about the Calgary Stampeders. They've traditionally shown, for whatever reason, to start slow, even in those seasons where they win 12, 13, 14, 15 games. So I think they'll figure it out. And they were really close to actually winning the ball game, right? If Kadeem Carey doesn't fumble, you could argue the Stamps probably close that out pretty easily. So overall, impressed by the Argos, not worried about the Stamps. I will say I was more impressed with Toronto, and I think the story kind of coming out of this game from a lot of people was, oh, well, you know, the and, and Bolivar Mitchell even said he felt they gave the game away to the Argos, which I'm not a fan of that narrative at all, because as far as I'm concerned, the Argos should have won that game by a wider margin, right? You had, you had Ricky Collins, you know, streaking for whatever it was, an 89-yard touchdown. He fumbles at the last moment. Sean Amos made a great play, but that's a perfect example of, of the Stamps taking points off of off of the board. They also had a block punt, right? They blocked Boris Beatty's punt, which set them up with fantastic red zone uh, field position. So the game could have, you know, it was already, it was a three-point win by the Argos, but honestly, they could have won that game by two or even three scores. Uh, so I thought they, they definitely outplayed the Stamps. The one thing that I'll say about Calgary is all preseason, all offseason, frankly, I was saying I don't like Calgary's receiving core. I don't think it's that good. I think it's one of the worst receiving cores in the league. Uh, it's not as bad as Ottawa's, but it's 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 not much better. I think Herjie Miala is a great player, and I think that Kamar Jordan is great when he's healthy. I like Colton Hunchak as an unrated slot. The rest of those guys I'm not a big fan of. And the fact that Bo Levi Mitchell is already talking a little bit about his receiving core, Makes me think Haji had a point. <laughs> we'll see what happens, my man. The Red Blacks shut up all the naysayers and won their season opener in Edmonton. The question is, can Ottawa win again with less than 100 yards of total <laughs> offense? Hey, give them some credit. They had 112, all right? They had 112 yards of offense. They also had six first downs and 71 yards passing. Uh, the answer is no. I'm sorry. I had them last place. In our, in our power rankings, most of us did. 
And they were also last in the CFL's power rankings. And all these red blacks are getting salty about it. I'm sorry. 200 yards of offense, 100 passing yards, 10 first downs. If you can't do that, close your mouth. I'm sorry. Yes, their defense was fantastic. Abdul Kane had a stellar performance. He's right up there in our current MLP rankings after one week. Excellent performance. And the special teams was good, too. Devontae Debbin had a couple nice, nice returns. But if your offense does nothing, and I mean nothing, then no, you, you cannot win games in this league. Yes, you won one, but guess what? There's 13 more coming, and the, the statistics will bear it out. History will bear it out. How many more of those are going to win with that kind of offensive performance? The answer is you're going to be lucky to win a second. Really lucky. I, I You would imagine I, they're going to get better after the bye week, right? They're on a bye week in week two. That said, there's How been could some they big... get worse? How could they get worse? You can't That's get right. worse can't, than that. Can't get any worse. They only had 43 offensive plays, which some executives said to me they haven't seen that low of a number in a long, long, long time. They so averaged right, just on second down. They averaged 0.3 yards. They averaged a third of a yard on second down. I've never seen that in 30 years. You could fall forward and get a third of a yard. Yeah, you literally could. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> there's definitely some cause for concern there as you said though nobody ever questioned the defense or the special teams bobby dice always has his units prepared mike benavides has been in this league for a long time a great cup winner as a head coach obviously and we felt like overall and i'll speak for everybody at three down nation that there was talent on that defense overall cleon lang in the middle avery ellis on the edge avery williams in the linebacking core and of course antoine pruno on the back end that was never the question it's going to be the offense. And Matt Nichols, I believe, only completed one pass of over 10 yards in the ball game, Hodge. Now that contributes to that low, low average you mentioned. 0.3 yards is unbelievable. But they got to be better. Flat out in the passing game, and they got to find some way to create some type of space for the running game. But if Nichols shows that he can't push the ball down the field, then teams are just going to stack the box. That's exactly it. I know if I was playing them in week three, and I can't remember off the top of my head where they're playing. It might be Saskatchewan. I know I would have eight guys in that box every single play because, hey, guess what? We're, we're going to play cover zero all game because I don't think you can beat me. We're going to stuff the box every single time. I will say this, though. Shout out to our boy Santino Filoso. He was the only one who I saw anywhere who picked the Red Blacks to win in week one. Dunkster Cody Fajardo joked, quote, I guess I'm not a big enough name yet to get that call. Close quote. Referencing an unpenalized helmet-to-helmet hit from Lions rookie linebacker Jordan Williams. Should it have been a penalty or worse? I believe certainly a flag should have been thrown. They even reviewed it. And to me, you can't just judge these hits based on whether or not Fajardo in this case or the player in other cases gets back up and walks back to the huddle. I had it pointed out to me from some executives in the league on the football side, and they said, hey, how is it any different from the hit that Simone Lawrence put on Zach Caleros all the way back in the 2019 season opener? Well, the main difference is Caleros stayed down. He was carted off the field and never played again that entire season. Now, the referees didn't know that at the time in terms of Fajardo, or sorry, Caleros never playing the rest of the year. But in this case, it's clear helmet-to-helmet contact, and I know you got to slow it down in some instances to see it, but it's a dangerous hit, and it's one that they're trying to get out of the game. So to me, it should have been a penalty minimum, 15 yards, unnecessary roughness, however you want to deem it, to make sure that these hits are not happening. Fajardo was in a vulnerable position. He took the contact clearly 
helmet to helmet from Williams. Should have been an easy call, 15 yards, and you move on. But I feel like if Fajardo would have stayed down on the turf, for sure he would have got the flag. And then maybe they're starting to think about a possible ejection. Or maybe after the fact, the league is thinking about supplementary discipline because Lawrence was suspended two games for his hit on Caleros. And this has not been subject to any overview from the league. Yeah, I, to me, it wasn't as bad as the Lawrence hit, but I, I do agree. I, I could see it getting penalized. The one difference I would say is Fajardo pulls the ball down, you know, uh, uh, well in advance and he doesn't slide. Right. He hadn't given himself up like like Kalaros had in 2019. He's pulling down the ball and he's looking to make a move as a running back with his legs churning to try to avoid the safety. So to me, there's a big difference between giving yourself up and sliding versus putting your head down and trying to get a few extra yards. That said, no, we can't have linebackers flying in in week one and taking out you know, the most important man in Saskatchewan. The CFL is a better place and a more entertaining place when the Riders have a top-tier quarterback. And putting that at risk in week one is not a good thing to do uh, because, hey, maybe Isaac Harker comes off the bench and does amazing things. But I think I think we want to see more of Cody Fajardo. So I, I thought it should have been should have been penalized. I get why it wasn't, but I would have liked to see it flag. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. But when we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. Welcome back for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2019, Jim Hobson was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders underwent a period of unprecedented success during Hobson's tenure as president and CEO from 2005 to 2015, posting record profits while capturing two Grey Cups in 2007 and at home in 2013. The Regina native played for the team for four seasons in the 1970s before entering a 30-year career in education. Dunkster, where would the Saskatchewan Rough Riders be today if it weren't for Jim Hobson? Well, they wouldn't have that great cup on home soil in 2013, I really believe. And there's people that you talk to that were in the organization at the time, and they wonder why Hobson was, let's put it honest, forced out. He was so great for the organization, loved around the province. And as you mentioned, a certain legacy he has left with the franchise. But you know where you'll never be forced out, Dunkster, is Jiffy Lube. You went there. You got your car decked out. It's all over Twitter. Great slick video that you put together. They did amazing things. And guess what? They do us a wonderful service here at 3 Down Nation by powering our website and the podcast. So the next time you have any needs for your car whatsoever, take it to Jiffy Lube. You know they're going to hook you up right. You said it, buddy. Literally 15 minutes in and out. And to be honest, that could be even quicker, but that's their guarantee. And literally that was the case for me. I mean, I stayed around a little longer because I wanted to see the entire process. They have a cool setup there, but you drive your car right in there. You can sit in it if you want, probably look at your phone, check out a couple text messages, maybe make a call or two. And all of a sudden you're back on the road, man. Honestly, super slick. I loved the crew there at the one that I went to located in Guelph had a family feel was owned by a family that loves soccer. So we were talking about that a little bit, but overall, I really like the feel that I got in the service as well. Top notch cars running smooth. We're now onto the three minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. The Edmonton Elks had two positive COVID-19 tests last Thursday. Linebacker, Brian, Will Brian Walker and offensive lineman, Sir Vincent Rogers. 
Would that make you a little nervous as one of their teammates, Dunkster? It definitely would. And I felt like this was an underrated storyline, Hodge. Imagine going into your season opener and two of your teammates just tested positive. They canceled your walkthrough. That would shake anyone. Brady Oliveira rushed for 126 yards in his first CFL start and then went viral in a puppy video. How can you not like this guy? <laughs> He's going to be a mega star, certainly in the city of Winnipeg, Dunkster. He's from here. He looks good on camera. And he's a heck of a player. And he loves puppies, as he said. Can't beat puppies. The Argos were inspired by Andre de Grasse and his three-medal performance at the Olympics in Tokyo, including a gold in the 200 meters, and celebrated a touchdown by sprinting out of the blocks. Positive mojo for the double blue? Indeed, it could be the boy that was born in Scarborough, raised in Markham. Maybe he shows up at an Argos game this year to help jack up that mojo. You know what I'm saying? Levi Mitchell felt the stamps gift wrapped the win to the Argos. Have you ever had Christmas in August? No, and neither have the Argos, because guess what? They, they earned that win. They beat you both. They beat you. One CFL fan, Kyle Campbell, laid a parlay bet on the Argos and Red Blacks to win on the money line in week one with 35 to 1 odds, and he hit it big, winning a thousand bucks. How improbable was that wager? It was so improbable, I think the Red Blacks should go buy a lottery ticket because a win like that will never happen again in the CFL. <laughs> the Edmonton football team honored Joey Moss with a decal on their helmets. A great gesture from the franchise, eh, Hud? Joey Moss deserves every and all honor that's come his way since his passing. Our thoughts are with his family and friends. Brandon Banks showed up to Tim Hortons Field for practice on Monday morning, but then realized it was a day off for the team. What does that say about Banks' commitment? Shows he's all in, ready to bounce back from the season opening loss. Have you ever showed up to work on an off day? No, but I have not showed up to work on a work day. And on that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. Keep it tuned. The Three Down Nation, we got all the latest CFL news for you with the football season being back in 2021. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.